friends! Welcome to episode 75 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game up to the next level, I am Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Uh, it's been a long work week. Maybe, maybe that's not a best question to open up let's, with. Let's just go right at the start. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a bit of a stressful week. But, it has uh, been. It has been. But I'm here. I'm here at therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we got some things to look forward to, though. We do. Yeah. We do. Um, um, I think uh, we, were, we were talking about a little bit about um, uh, expanding our repertoire of uh, virtual tabletops. Yes. For yes. our games earlier. I actually picked up uh, Foundry VTT and started mm-hmm. taking a look at that. I'm going to flat out say I don't know enough Linux to set up the dedicated Linux server. I tried. Like, I'm just bad at it. That's all. I must be. So I'm going to probably end up doing a PC version of it, but I like the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm going to I'm going to give it a shot. I'll uh, I'll do a little bit of review once I get a little more in depth with it, but uh yeah, I overall I like the simplicity. I like the fact that I can have my own personal dedicated server mm-hmm. and control over that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um versus relying on somebody else's connectivity or something like that. Right. You know, and right. if I want to set up like something on Amazon Web Services, I could. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of nice. I mean, and from a technical aspect, because that's what I'm good at. Like that's my background. Like I can go, yeah, that that's something I want to sit with. And it doesn't include all the 3D stuff that I'm not good at. Like, right, right, like right. Somebody gives me a map, and I can just make it into a grid, and then draw a few boxes, and that gives me lighting control. Hey, I'm I'm golden. That's great. Mm-hmm. Whereas you, uh, I am actually in the uh, the the Kickstarter for a uh, VGT called uh, Tailspire. Tailspire. That's what I was yeah. trying to remember the name of it. Uh, and Tailspire plays a little bit like. Um, uh, it's almost like virtual Dwarven Forge. Yeah. Uh, whereas it's got a lot of three-dimensional pieces that you can modularly build your board with. Yeah. Um, and it also has, like, some animated uh, Like Unreal Engine light. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, like a live lighting, and you can mm-hmm. even do, like, you know, little camera things. Like, if you want a cut scene for, you know, when they when they finally get into the like, where the big bad evil guy is at the end of the mm-hmm. dungeon or something like that, you can do a dramatic, you know, camera movement where it goes, like, up to the plinth that he's Now, is that on. the one that Z was hawking up? Uh, or is that a different one? I don't one? know if Z Bashaw was uh for uh who does the animated spell book yep, on YouTube. Yep, yep. Um I don't know if that was one that he was hawking. He, there's, there's a number of products that he yeah, does. Early on he had one that like they literally looked like tiny mini figs with bases and they would bounce as they moved through and stuff like that. That sounds right. That yeah. sounds right, yeah. But it was way early that he was talking about mm-hmm. it. I think it was during the initial Kickstarter, and I was like, ooh, that looks neat, but it, like, it looks too thin for me mm-hmm. to want to use. It looks like, well, I'm going to have to move every one of the pieces and like graphically show this, but from what you said, it's grown a little bit. So It's it's grown a bit. They've got a, they've got a lot of good tile sets and stuff like that. Um, okay. And so what I'm planning on doing is a little bit of a, a, a hybrid sort of online presentation for you guys. A show and tell, if you will. Uh, yeah, show and tell. Uh, so we're still going to play over, over Discord, I think, but okay. what I'm going to do is I'm just going to stream my instance of uh, Tailspire mm-hmm. and essentially use that as a visual reference for you guys and then you can just tell me where you want to move and you know we'll roll dice and stuff like no that I in, think that in, makes in sense space, you know? yeah 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 uh, so I'm slowly but surely plucking away at mine I'm happy for you for that and you have your game coming up this weekend yes regardless of how weird this week has gone and everything I'm still pushing through with uh, my uh, my Friday game, mm-hmm. or sorry, sorry, Sunday game, um, and I'm doing some quasi world changing stuff. I, I might get into it next story okay. or next uh, next episode, but uh, I'm I'm doing something new on Thursday. You're aware of it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, definitely not using traditional pen and paper to do it. No, so it's going to no. be interesting to see how this this little 
test works out. I'm going to tell a fun little story using Arc Survival. Of yes, the as a, as a system, as a as a, a live role playing system. System, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see how it works out. We'll see how this works yeah, out. Yeah, right on. So today we are continuing our mini series on encounters, mm-hmm. and we're adding on social. And just to recap, if you haven't been with us, you know, welcome. Uh, this this little mini series, we kind of wanted to break down encounters and get into the meat. Of, of different styles of encounters and what makes them unique, what makes them different, um, and also what kind of, what, what do you need to look for in them and what are things that we've done um, and uh, what others have suggested that make them really, that captures people's attention and also makes it good for gameplay. Right, right, right. Because not everybody thinks about that. Mm-hmm. And social encounters are one of those where things can get kind of gray um, because they can be as simple as a uh, uh, just a simple conversation between you and like a merchant or as complex as you know uh, a, a bad guy who you're having a duel with while talking or doing some other competitive activity right right like you know going to the high society ball and trying to you know integrate yourself in with like fake identities mm-hmm. and you know it can get pretty deep and I'm not even saying that social are, I'm, I'm also looping into the social encounter the concept that you're dealing with another PC in a challenge that isn't combat. So I, I, I would even put this to say that this could be a, a social encounter if you're doing a foot race against somebody. Why not? There's going to be social aspects to it because you could intimidate. You could do other things like that. So really when we're talking about a encounter, we're talking about a scene, something mm-hmm. that's important to the story with a goal attached. Right, right. It's okay. presumably going to move the, move your plot forward. Right. So, so if somebody, if your players just got back into town and they're getting ready to go into a dungeon, they're like, hey, I need to do some shopping and I need to do this and I need to do that. Those aren't necessarily scenes and full encounters. Right. A social encounter is not just talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. It is like a significant you know, set yep. piece where the, where the plot is going to move forward. Yeah. So never, never confuse when we talk about social encounters, um, the, I would say the drudgery of travel or quick shopping or, or even exposition to your players. Yeah. Think about this as something that you've dedicated some time to, to say this needs to happen or the players to dedicate some time to say this needs to happen. Like, we're going to go, you know, it's like now that we've had to defend the town, okay, uh, what are you guys doing for the night? We're going to go see the mayor because we need to get paid for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we have a social encounter. Now you have a social encounter. <laughs> that yes. may turn into a combat encounter, but we'll see where things go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, we're going to put our weight back on what we talked about last week, which is there are still three things involved in this. Stakes, options, and triggers. Right, right. Um, and we want to make sure that that is still kept, because that's true for any encounter. Those elements still carry through. And we're going to talk how those fit into things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But remember that, you know, even though it's a social encounter, it could still mean life or death. Don't get me wrong. I mean, think about the scene between in uh, Princess Bride. Yeah. You know, that was a social encounter with, with where death with on the line, you know, but it's it's a that's, thing. That's a social encounter. It was a yeah. social encounter. So you got to think about that. What are the options that both the PCs and the NPCs have in that? Mm-hmm. And what are the triggers for things to change? Mm-hmm. So let's start talking a little bit about this. So what makes a social encounter different than combat? Uh, well, presumably you're talking. And not fighting. True, true. Uh, We're not... not doing combat. <laughs> right, right. Well, <laughs> initiative uh, has not hit the table. Right, but but I think that's that's a that's a uh, an important distinction because most game systems, um, not just D and D, you know, mm-hmm. but but most game systems have uh, specific combat systems and then 
kind of everything else systems. Combat tends to be its own set of rules. And so it's important that you're not delving into the combat rules in any way during a social encounter. And that means that you're using whatever it's got left as rules, which, for instance, like in D&D 5th Edition, you know, some of those rules are pretty fast and loose. And yeah. Not really terribly fleshed out and a lot of discretions left to the storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, whereas your combat is usually very strictly defined. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes that is at a detriment to the mm-hmm. storyteller. Because they look at the, you know, if you're brand new to this, D&D looks just like a tactical combat system with some stuff thrown in to take Correct. care of the other pieces. And to its credit, you can play it like that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it, it, it kind of has its roots in that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, though, for those of us who, who use it as more than that, sometimes it can feel a little lacking outside of combat. So I was actually on Reddit earlier, funny mm-hmm. enough, um, and actually in a, in a 7C forum. Okay. And somebody said this, and I thought it was really... Interesting. It was uh, BMR42 said this. Um, if the only penalty is uh, HP damage hit points and the possibility of death, things get repetitive quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Adding other goals to a conflict, protecting bystanders, catching them from fleeing, informa- you know, fleeing uh, informant, stopping raging fire uh, on top of enemies, keep things interesting. It's about choice. Each player generates a slightly a slight uh, slightly variable amount of a resource in each conflict, and those then they have to choose how to allocate those resources to get the results they want and decide which things are not as important to them. Mm-hmm. So, when we look at an encounter, we have to look at it from more than just a combat, you know, life and death situation, and then we have to also see what the players are allocating themselves to, mm-hmm. and come to a solution and that's what makes things interesting you to break up the monotony of just initiative combat solution life or is it was it life or death right right you know? right and and i'll tell you and then clean up it, it gets it gets really not only monotonous but also gets very stressful when your life is constantly on the line and every conflict you're faced with is always you know life or death uh, you know, I, I think that one of the vital one of the vital uh, positions that social encounters play in the in the in the storytelling experience is to give you those sort of gray areas, I suppose, where success and failure isn't as cut and dry as who won the combat. Correct. And the stakes aren't always who's you know who's going to end up dead at the end of this. Yeah, there's a neat. Uh, I I don't know if you've seen Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, yeah. Um, or how how long ago? But I was literally just watching a. Um, a psychologist review of it. I, I think I watched the exact same thing. And I, yeah. I, it was just the the first time they meet. Mm-hmm. And I was watching that. And I'm going. This is a social encounter. This let me let me combat. dissect it with this guy yep. and see. And he was really taking it from how the therapist was doing their job to right. to negotiate things. And it very much made me think I need to be sitting down with Matt and and going through this uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and sending it to him. So if you're listening, you need to watch this. I'll send you a link. Um, but one of the things that was neat was it was talking about a specific point where um, Matt Damon's character gets up to look at a painting. Yes. That he's done. Yes. And he starts to dissect the painting. And, and as he's doing it in a, in a clinical way and not necessarily forming um, a proper opinion of, of, of the therapist, um, the therapist is able to kind of deflect and, and only take a little bit of offense to it. But then when he turns it on to talk about his wife – and without knowing anything about her, mm-hmm. it immediately turns to an aggressive state where the therapist jumps him, grabs him by the throat, at which point he basically says, like, you know, this is over. Yep. I Time's won. Up. I win. And yep. 
that is a conflict done through social. Mm-hmm. And I think scenes like that show that it is a loss on one or both of their parts. It is not just a simple cut and dry who won this yeah. contest. Yeah. Both of them walk away with event with lasting reputations of each other. Mm-hmm. And it changes the course of the story. Um, and that's the kind of feeling that you want to get out of social encounters. Um, one that I particularly liked from 7C that I was involved with, uh, not to get too far into this, was a player. Uh, players were tied up. Two of the players had been, you know, the, basically the, the, the bad guy's monologuing. Uh-huh. And he knocks out the first person at the beginning of the scene and then continues his monologue. And that's kind of where things... And he, the second person is this... Um, friend of the prince who is the third person sitting there and he goes and goes to knock him out knocks him out without a problem gets to the prince and he's like and soon it will all be mine and you will just be a memory and he goes to knock him out and the player said i'd like to contest it and basically spends a drama die a luck die whatever you want to call it sure, for system sure, sure. to basically take the wounds and then he spits the blood out and looks back at him and he goes is that your the best you can say or do and of course he hits him again uh-huh and he goes I do have another one and literally sets down the next one. And he's just like, I suck that one up. Now he's got all of these wounds. Like he's gonna, he's not going to make this third one. And he spits the blood out, looks at him and he got, and he goes, I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) And he knocks him out at that point. And everyone was just like, you won that. You won that conflict. But there was that moment of defiance where he didn't get what he wanted. Right. And it was a power play. It totally was a power play. Yep. But it's things like that, that you're giving options to your players that wouldn't normally be there to create drama and intensity and meaning to the encounter. There was a, a scene uh, from Star Trek Deep Space Nine that always comes to mind when I think of intense social encounters. Oh, and here I thought you were going to say there are four lights. Uh, no, this is much <laughs> much later uh, much later in the, the DS9 uh, yeah. uh, uh, storyline where... Um, so I, I apologize if these are spoilers in any way here, but you've got um, the, the Cardassians have joined the Dominion. Okay. Um, and the Dominion had those, uh, those aliens, uh, Vorta, uh, that were the negotiators. Uh, Wei- oh, Weyoon was, was, was the one, one yeah. that... They would that, cloned them as they needed them, basically. Yeah, because they yeah. were expendable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Weyoon was there. Yeah. Um, Gul Dukat, who was basically the, the, the face of the Cardassian Empire yes. to the Federation, was yeah. there. And, um, essentially they, uh, they came in for, quote-unquote, peace talks. Uh-huh. And this whole scene plays out with Weyoon and, um... And Gul Dukat and Captain Sisko, or Commander Sisko, and uh, they're all through, you know, it's very tense, mm-hmm. but they all say very nice things to each other of like, oh, I'm sure the Federation can come to see things eye to eye, and yep. oh, yes, of course, the the Cardassian Empire and the, the you know, the Dominion want nothing but the best for, yeah. for the Alpha Quadrant, and yep. I'm sure... And at the end of it, Wayun claps his little hands and goes, "Well, I think that went remarkably well." Yeah. And Cisco, walk very grim faced, walks out of these peace talks. Yeah. And he's like, "Arm all the ships. Make sure everybody's at battle stations. Go to yellow alert." Yeah. And like, but I thought they said things went well. Like, yeah, we all know what was being said. Yeah. In that room. Yeah. And it like we all used very flowery words, but we both know that. This is what's about. Look, we're, we're, we're about to go to we're war. We're about to throw hands. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, and it's knowing that that's what's happening. Uh huh. Yeah. It's 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 not necessarily what's said. It's how it's said and how you posture. Like in D and D terms, that was a lot of insight checks to figure out what the person was really getting at. You know. You know, I would say yeah, I would say to a degree, mm-hmm. but I also think it's it's counter. 
um, intimidation. Yeah. But not through force of anger. Mm-hmm. You can easily intimidate somebody into any number of things, but it's intimidation against intimidation against intimidation. Mm-hmm. And each check failing each other. Yeah. And it's like, sorry, neither of us got through this. Guess it means war. Right, right. You know, I'm sorry it's got to come to this. Me too. You know. Um, so when should dice hit the table then for something like that? When is a conversation not a conversation and now it's now it's an encounter that is a challenge? And, and that's that's really like a balancing act that we I think we've both had. We've know. talked about it a lot. We have. And we've talked about once you know dice need to hit the table, when do you roll? Mm-hmm. I mean – I know personally, I've kind of, after going through enough things, I've decided that if I know a player is a challenged person who doesn't necessarily, and I say challenged in the sense that they're not necessarily fast on their feet uh, when it comes to whatever they're about to try and do, be it intimidation, be it, you know, um, performance or whatever, Mm -hmm. I don't want to put them on the spot, but I'll say, why don't you roll, you know, give me your, how are you going to do this? I'm going to perform. Great. Why don't you make a roll and we'll see what happens? No, and, and I just want to say too, like when we say not fast on your feet, like that's not a that's not not an a negative. No, it's no, not a negative. It's just that there there are some people who are good at just like being really in character at all times and like can think as you know, almost like method acting. It is, and also just being creative under pressure. Yeah, exactly. Being you know, creative under pressure is is a really tough skill. Yeah. Um, and like, I mean, there are a lot of like trained professional. Like, if you watch Critical Role, yeah, like Ashley Johnson. As wonderful of a person as she is, and she's a really good role player, like, she's not good at that. No. She's really not good at improv at all. She feels, once she's got her idea, mm-hmm. she's good at that. Yeah. And, but, I mean, and, and, and this isn't just me throwing shade at Ashley. And Ashley, Ashley if you're this... listening, we're not throwing shade at you in the least. <laughs> no, but she's but she's said as much. Yeah. That she's not good under those sorts of those sorts of pressures. She's mm-hmm. really good if you hand her a script. Oh, yeah. She's amazing at that. Mm-hmm. But she's not she's not terribly good at the improv sort of stuff mm-hmm. that everybody else is. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't preclude her from being at the table, though. Yeah. You know, and she gets by just fine. But the cool thing about role-playing games in general, especially with these, you know, social encounters and such like that, yep. is that they allow you to portray things that are not you. Correct. They they allow you to hop into the heroic shoes of a of a make believe character, and we don't expect everybody to have sword you know sword swinging prowess before they sit down at a at a uh, at a D and D table. Yeah. So we shouldn't expect you to be an expert speechwriter, right? Or or a you know multilingual silver tongued devil. Like you shouldn't. No. And sometimes you do need to meta and let the group assist you with that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's no problem with that. If uh, another player yeah. comes up with a better statement to make or a joke or something, that fits very well. I, I don't see an issue with it. Nor do I have an issue with a player who looks at me and says, okay, I'm going to seduce the guard. Okay, or, you know, or, or, I'm, I'm going to intimidate the guard or something to get through. Okay, what are you going to use? Intimidate? Do you want to use bargain? You know, what, what, what kind of skill set are you going to use for this? Mm-hmm. You know what? Um, I'm going to perform. Okay, so you're just going to lie in some way? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to lie to him. Okay, uh, why don't you make a roll? Okay, because, you know, you know, well, you know, I say, uh, isn't it a lovely night? And I just try to get his attention and, and keep it focused on me. Mm-hmm. Okay, make a roll. 29 plus 3. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, so you say it's a lovely night and his eyes start to glisten with water. Mm-hmm. What? 
and you you you, you kind of stare at the stars with him. You don't really say anything. You just point to things and, you know, say how beautiful and blue the sky is. And he's just welling up with tears. Because what you don't realize is that the last person to say that to him was his dead wife, who died six days ago. Mm-hmm. And he just starts saying it to you. And he's crying. And he's holding your shoulder. And he's like, it is a lovely night. And doesn't recognize anything. That man is 100% <laughs> covered. And that's you as a storyteller assisting. Mm-hmm. your player who just did something amazing to have a role-playing experience. No different than when your player pontificates for five minutes about what they're saying for this commanding speech, and then they make a roll, and it's, you know, 20 or, you know, or 19 or whatever, but it's good, and you're like, yeah, that's fantastic. And you give them some chops, and everybody claps and everything. Like, great, give them an extra inspiration die for doing some extra role-play, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I mean, there... I think you have to feel out your, your table, too. Oh, definitely. I, and I think sometimes you're, you're going to have mixed tables. Like, I can think of in, at my game, like, I think you're the type of person who'd want to talk mm. and then roll some dice to see how effective the talk was. Yeah. Um, just simply because you're you're generally a, a very talky person. Um, no. On the other hand, I know there are, there are at least at least two people at my table um, who would prefer to roll the dice first and then see how that comes out. Yeah, but I mean, you can do the exact same uh, thing on the opposite too, where you give your whole big speech, and you roll a four, and you roll a four, and the guard just looks at you and goes, "Cool motive, still murder." <laughs> <laughs> or, or you have your players who are just like, "I'm going to intimidate," and makes a roll, and you're like, "Okay, you rolled a twenty-nine. What do you do?" I stare. Okay, okay. <laughs> he asks you if if you have business in town. I stare. He's starting to sweat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I have done that in a game before. <laughs> Correct. There's nothing wrong with that. At the same time, I think we can also uh, say that there are points where you don't need to roll. If your player isn't begging to roll, and you know that they have amazing charisma, you know, they're a plus seven charisma, and this person is just a guard. There's no reason why you necessarily even have to make a roll unless the player really wants to do it. Mm-hmm. You can just say you sweet talk your way around him and make your way make your way into the party. Great, yep. Simple as that because it's not important. It doesn't need to be an encounter. Mm-hmm. That that guard can just be someone who passes. You you can have fan people who are like, oh my god, is that so and so? You know, because two scenes earlier they put on clothing and you can make the assumption because they got an amazing roll on it that they look like some celebrity maybe. Mm-hmm. And now they're just wandering through, like, is that David Bowie? No, that can't be David Bowie. It's got to be Annie Lennox, you know? <laughs> and everybody just makes assumptions, you know? Uh, Knox in the Box in our live chat uh, asks, would you ever let a player play a mute? How would that even work? Um, yeah, 100%. He could. I, I have no problem with that. Um, I would say that uh, there are amazing things that role players can do, but I would say... That playing a mute would have its challenges, obviously, mm-hmm. and in, in some games there's there's actual dictatable settings for that. Um, but it, it also comes down to the player of, of asking, "Is like okay, so how are you going to perform mm-hmm. and communicate?" And if they're like, "I'll be using cards," okay. I mean, I I can think of a few movies where that worked out very well. Yeah. Most of them were comedies. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, sign language is a thing. One hundred percent. You know, and I assure you, there are some universal signs that everyone understands. <laughs> <laughs> like one of the fingers on your hand represents. Excuse me, I need to merge. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. Uh, and you know, 
I, I just have to say it. Not all challenges are equal. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. there are some where, you know, you're just going to say, yes, this happens. You, you brought it up for, um, uh, the event Aeon universe. Oh yeah, where yeah, yeah. You have these mega intelligence people working with normal people. Right, right, right. They're um, they're going to be able to think circles around them. Well, yeah. So, uh, one of the things you were saying is like, uh, if if you know there, there's a big enough disparity in the in the numbers, uh, you know, if somebody has like advantage and plus four versus someone who doesn't even have a bonus, you know, you might consider just not rolling the dice. Yeah. You know, uh, and just just having that. But I think you know we we kind of get stuck in the in the mindset where a lot of the rule systems require us anytime there is a question a skill question to make the check yeah to to roll some dice and see how the rule system adjudicates that um but i i think we've both experienced times where there have been some really unsatisfying outcomes where you think the outcome should and even like dramatically be preordained as mm-hmm. a success or as a failure mm-hmm. when all of a sudden, you know, dice hit the table and that miraculous either natural one or natural 20 or whatever the dice, you know, are, uh, comes up and you're kind of left gobsmacked of going, that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. And I think, I, I think as a storyteller, you can, you can either accept those wins and losses, mm-hmm. um, or you can fudge. Yeah. And I, I think there are times when, um, especially in social encounters where a loss can still mean a success. Mm-hmm. It just means a success and. But I, I think it's important to note though, that you don't always have to roll dice. Mm-mm. You can, yeah. as the storyteller, just simply say like, look, you are the bard of the group. You have a plus 11 on intimidate. Yep. What, what do you want? What do you want this, 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 how do you want this to go? Know? Yeah, exactly. How do you want this low level, you know, enforcer, to feel who, who is literally just like a club and no armor to feel. How do you how do you belittle him? You yeah, know? yeah. Okay, Porthos. Because, Everyone knows you <laughs> because you win. Right. You know. Period. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make you roll. Like even if you even if you botch that roll completely, you're still gonna come out with like an eleven. Yeah. You know, and it's still gonna be enough to to beat this guy down. Um, and the reason I brought up Aeonverse mm-hmm. was because uh, in Aberrant specifically. Uh, where you're playing super-powered characters, mm-hmm. uh, you have what are called mega attributes. Mm-hmm. And that's things like mega strength, mega dexterity, mega stamina that we're all pretty familiar with as Superman-style yeah. characters. But there is also, like, mega charisma, mm-hmm. um, mega intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Knox in the Box, who's uh, free, uh, one, of the, one of our uh, Patreons, contributors, right. and in the live chat right now, uh, played a mega charismatic character Yeah, um, in my game. And... Uh, the rules of that game system say, like, if, if I have a mega attribute and you don't, I win. Mm-hmm. Period. Yep. There is no way, even if you have a full, you know, fully kitted out mundane stat, you're never going to beat anyone with even one dot in that mega attribute. You're that far below them. Yep. Um, and so I think it's important to note that you don't always have to resort to dice. Yep. You know, allow for that possibility. Yeah, allow for the chicken boo. Mm-hmm. Who just gets away with everything. Who just does it. Yeah. That's right. That's a chicken. What are you talking about? That's right. I, I, I literally had an idea for for something and uh, uh, where... Bear in a trench coat? No, actually a T-Rex. With the maxed out bluff chuck? Yeah, it was a, a T-Rex paladin. Uh-huh. You know, who everyone knows. Well, yeah, well that's, that's, that's Lord Teeth's. Yes. You know, it's like he's the paladin of light. Dude, that's a T-Rex in, a, in armor with, with a sword taped to his arm. Now, he had injuries. 
those, you know, the restores didn't work there. That is literally a T-Rex. Like, so, um, okay. Let me get back on topic here a little bit. So, uh, we're not off topic really. Uh, so le- when we start talking about social encounters, mm-hmm. just to to lay this out for the next section, because we're going to get into some depth here, I just want to say that not all social encounters are equal. If if your players are just quickly talking to a guard, a shopkeep, an owner, or something like that, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have meaning to you or them, let it just fly. Their yeah. dice doesn't need to hit the table. Or if it does, like, oh, I need to do a barter check because I'm, I, I want to haggle with this guy. All right, do a quick check. Sure. Let it go with that. But it doesn't need to turn into a social encounter every time you want to buy 20 arrows. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But when you do want to have a social encounter, remember that the NPCs are your mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. That is exactly how you, as a storyteller, communicate to your players. So use them. Don't just let them be fluff. Every time you speak through an NPC, it should have meaning. And it should have at least some level of meaning and should have some prowess behind it mm-hmm. for who that person is. They should be significant in some way. Yes. Now, this is where we start getting things. They should be necessary. So if I'm going, if I'm having them talk to a trader and I'm going to do a scene with that trader, now they know there's meaning. Mm-hmm. Now they know something about this scene is different. What is it? Is it that he has something special in his his place, you know, or or some bit of plot information is going to come out of this? So they're going to be listening to the scene, and that's what you want to capture. Mm-hmm. You want these social scenes to capture your players. And there are ways that you can do this, but just remember that this is the time to do it. This is a scene as any other depth should have. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, when when a child runs into town saying Timmy has fallen to the well, right, that is a social encounter. Now, you could say in exposition, a small child runs into town screaming Timmy has fallen into the well and everyone rushes out to the well. And that's where your scene begins. Mm -hmm. But if you have Timmy run into town and grab you and scream that someone has fallen into the well, you are starting a social encounter with that child. Yes. Whether it leads to wherever it's going, there has to be other exposition besides what you just did. Yes, the Chekhov's gun is there. There's somebody in the well. Mm -hmm. But there's probably more going on there that they could go into, and that is where the options come into play of how they handle that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Likewise, a tailor could be doing a cloak for one of the players. Like, hey, I want to go buy a new cloak. Excellent. Uh, Anything in particular? Yeah, I'm looking for something fine uh, because we're going to be doing these things. Great. You go into the tailor shop and you meet with this tailor and you explain the tailor and he he makes note of you, puts you up on a stand. And while you're there, the whole scene comes out that you find information about the upcoming ball and who's going to be there and that there's this foreigner in town and you can ask questions. And now it becomes a whole scene and information gathering for what's going on. I see see your (laughs) wife in the live chat is uh, making the exact same screwed up faces that i am right now going no cloaks i i did i did maybe have an npc who was a tailor who may have also been a she yeah yeah so. may have may also be possibly the creepiest character you have ever introduced in any of your games whatsoever i don't know the mirrors were pretty damn creepy <laughs> i wasn't around for the mirrors your loss yes uh but yeah the the, the shot man uh was a character that i did put together just for that reason and he came out of a, a side character in fact that became a main character because of the way you guys dealt with him 
Um, and so I, I used him as a reoccurring character who would give you guys, well, actually I'll explain later what he gave you guys. Um, but, um, cause it has relevance, but NPCs aren't random when you have a scene with them. They aren't meant to be random. They are meant to be there to be your voice. So keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's what we're talking about when we're talking about an encounter. We're talking about the moment that it becomes, that it has depth. Um, so that NPC that you bring in should have life and direction and some simple motivations. Yes. Okay. Um, you want to, we're not asking you to have a stable of actors waiting or, you know, and I think you do a really great job of preparing yourself to have actors. Right. Like any, any, um, location that the PCs are going to go into. So when I'm writing up the setting for, you know, the, uh, for, for the actual location, like, so the village of Ardglass. Sure. Um, I will write down, okay, so who are some common people they may run into in Ardglass? Mm-hmm. You know, is there, they're probably going to run into, like, an innkeeper. I'm going to have, like, I don't know, a blacksmith, a, like, two farmers, uh, a mayor of some sort. You know, mm-hmm. who are the common people that adventurers always want to talk to when they go into a village they've never been into? Sure. You know, and just, just kind of think about that and just have some names Mm-hmm. races and mm-hmm. and uh, like an attribute written down yeah i think that names are one of the most important things like i traditionally don't have that ready mm-hmm. i have an idea of in my head of what the town looks like mm-hmm. and so when a player asks for something i will pull from a list that i have on the table of some names that i have for that area um both men and women and races if if, if needed and then i'll also now that you've kind of thrown this in there i'll throw a quirk in there and i say a quirk because it's not necessarily a voice it is a voice or a mannerism. For instance, I might say, I might look down the list and say, um, this person uh, uh, has a twitchy right eye, or uh, you know they've got a stubbed uh, a stub for their left arm that they they itch because it always itches for them, and it literally their arms lobbed off right at the elbow, mm-hmm. you know, and it has never like really healed as well as they'd like it to, you know, and these types of things are much, much easier for me because if the player, if the character isn't something that I, I feel has depth or meaning, I may not throw a voice to it. Mm-hmm. I may not be able to recall that voice quick enough, but I could definitely sit there and say, you know, he scratches his, his stump a few more times or his right eye twitches, you know, real rapidly. And then he, he would say he kind of rubs it and relaxes again. And that reminds you of who that character is, that they're a person. That oh, there's, this there's is depth. twitchy eye guy. Exactly. I don't remember what his name was you know but it's the twitchy eye guy you know but it also helps yeah. for the you know and i would say this would definitely help storytellers who don't have voices mm-hmm. you know or who may be typing this out all together or making quick notes this way that you have clearly identifiable ways that your players can recognize these npcs yeah there i think i think it's in, in the like the dungeon master guide mm-hmm. uh there's a like a random 100 list of yes. attributes for npcs yes um, and it's all things from like, you know, has a scar over the left eye to has shockingly pink hair yep. to, you know, speaks with a slight stutter or whatever yep. that you can, you can easily just roll this thing on random mm-hmm. and now, you're, now your now your NPC has a, has a bit of flair, a Correct. little personality. So even if you're not like super into doing voices and taking intricate notes and stuff mm-hmm. like that, at least now it's not just another, you know, DM NPC well, that's what you never want to have. Right. You never want that feeling. And we, we know those moments. Uh-huh. And it, it doesn't help. Um, another thing that a lot of people will forget is these are characters. These are people who are in the world. And one of the simplest things that you can add is a goal. Mm-hmm. What is their goal right now? Yeah. 
And effectively, what that means is, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. Are they on their way to way to church? Are they coming back from shopping? Um, you know, is this person in Hangar Six working on the oxygen cleaning system? And that's what they do. Mm-hmm. So when you approach them, they are doing that thing, and that may may be very busy. You know, that or it may bother them, and that's where things can can change. But you have to know what their goal is and how important it is to them. Because they may talk about said goal. They may be working on said goal while you're discussing it with them. A fisherman may still be casting. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the interaction is that you're witnessing them. And when he's done with his fish, he's going to grab his tackle and his stuff and bid you a good day and walk off with his fish. Yep. You know? Yep. But they also might have an element for plot and story-wise. Mm-hmm. Now, these aren't mutually exclusive. They could have a personal goal and have some plot information. A guard is a perfect example of that. If he's doing his rounds, he's going to want to get back to said rounds, right? He's not just going to want to stand there. He'll be he'll be looking at other things. And so at times he may say things that he's not necessarily realizing he's saying, mm-hmm. you know, while he's just jabbering with you. And then when he sees someone stealing something, he's like, I've got to go. And he goes and takes off after that person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and that's the kind of thing that you want to do. It isn't always necessary to give plot information. It is necessary to complete whatever the goal of the scene is yes. with that player, but it doesn't always have to be plot. And that's the last thing you want is to have every single NPC that you make an encounter off of be plot exposition and points. this is what you run into what we call oblivion dialogue. Correct. And that way your <laughs> players aren't traveler, just... have you heard of the high elves? Exactly. And it's like, great, <laughs> I didn't know I was going to get history on this event every right. single time. Did you just spout random history at people or, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um... And so just kind of choose, pick and choose off your list, get a name, get a race, get a mannerism, a quirk of some kind, and then decide whether or not, you know, what they're doing and whether or not they have a bit of plot information Mm -hmm. that's going to come out. Maybe. It doesn't always have to. You don't have to shove it into the player's hands. Remember that even if the players miss something along the line, this is an opportunity for you to get it back into play. Right, right. You know, even the lowliest of people could do... For instance, maybe they were supposed to pick up a dagger off the battlefield and they just never searched. They ran away because they saw skeletons coming or something. And Mm -hmm. so now you've got this dagger missing in the field. There's nothing to say that it isn't literally in the fishing basket of the farmer, and he starts talking with him. He's like, oh, you were the guys who were in that battlefield. Oh, I think you're missing something. And he pulls it out and hands it to him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just like, yeah, I found this. I think this might be one of your guys. I, I got no use for it because it's way too fancy for me. I just like my shucking knife, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's a fisherman, and that, that works. You know, it doesn't work for him. That's the kind of stuff that you want to see um, to make a scene worthwhile and to give them some plot and make it feel like, oh, this does have meaning. I'm glad I talked to this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Another thing that I will do sometimes is I will bring NPCs back. For instance, I may have a traveling um, tradesman who shows up in multiple towns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or a aristocrat who shows up at different events. Um, and that way, you're reusing that NPC, and they already have a reputation, and they have an idea of how to interact with this person. And you see this in movies all the time. They're the supporting characters that flow in and out of scenes to give direction to the oh, story. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Gandalf is an example of actually a supporting character who mm-hmm. comes in and out of scenes. He helps guide the story along. Well, that's one of the things, too, that I like. Uh, I, I talk a lot about my love for uh, Deep Space Nine over other Star Trek properties, mm-hmm. simply because because you it, it took place on a space station and that location, the key location, did not move. No. You had all those other NPCs, all your lesser characters, essentially, in the mm-hmm. story, all got their own unique 
growth arcs and storylines, you know, yeah. and even if even if they only showed up once or twice a season over the course of three or four seasons, you still got to see how the overall plot was affecting them as well. Right. And that really enhanced the world building. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really good to have those recurring characters. Yeah. Um, because they're a good reflection of what's going on in the story. I love Garrick, the tailor. Yeah. He was one of my favorite characters Elon because Garrick. people would come to him and he would always have this visage of jovialness and comfort. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know what was going on, but pretty much everyone knew that he was some kind of spy. <laughs> Ex-Obsidian Order spy. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and they would use that to their advantage. They would have him listen in on things to be able to bleed that information away and have plausible deniability because he was no fool i believe you have me mistaken i am just a simple tailor exactly and i believe that you may find the answers to your questions if you come tonight and buy a suit at precisely (laughs) 1105 exactly exactly (laughs) or or when uh uh, when cisco used him uh for the attack Uh where basically like he orders that he's going to have a new jacket made for him and it's literally when his high command is speaking Uh and cisco literally just starts pontificating about what's going on gives just enough information to kind of lead in the fact that, you know, they're planning on defending. Mm-hmm. And so Garrick immediately goes back and reports back to the Obsidian Order. This is what's going on. I just heard about this. Like, yep. I, I have no doubt that he is not that serious. And you can check your records because I did. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hacked their systems. Yeah, it's happening. Like, this is going on. Oh, well, we have all this intelligence. Your intelligence is effing wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no bad shit's about to go down. So, um, so taking that let's talk about what makes a good social scene right and we talk about stakes we talk about options we talk about triggers but let's Mm -hmm. kind of pull that together now so in the case of stakes what is it in it for the pcs or the npcs what do they have to work out to within the stake so it's you know is the party trying to get in are they trying to get into a party without an invite Mm -hmm. are they uh you know are they is somebody pickpocketing one of the pcs to get a map back Right. You know, uh, is it a trying to get a good deal on magical items or are they trying to find information from a ruffian like a like a uh, interrogation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, these are all basic scenes, but it's all talking about what's at stake. They need this. Right. The whether, PCs are going into it with a goal or the NPCs are going into it with a goal mm-hmm. and the scene has to roll either way. Yep. So what options do they have? And this is where things can get a little gray because you have to think about what the PCs have options-wise, and they're going to throw some extras at you. Mm -hmm. That always happens. In the case of NPCs, the rules still apply. Your NPCs are going to come up with options on the fly when they look at your PCs Mm -hmm. because you don't know what state they're going to be in going into the scene. They could be drunk. They could be poisoned. They could be 100% right after a long rest. You don't know. So are you sweet-talking that guard? Are you showing some respect to the, you know, are you asking to be shown respect for nobility? Are you just going to pay the guard off, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or are you going to use some of your reputation and basically be like, don't you know me? And so is that how you're going to get into this party? Right, um, right. Are you going to, are there, is there going to be some kind of a distraction going on for um, stealing? Or is that NPC going to wait till they go to sleep? Is he going to case them? Right. You know? Um, or maybe try and use a toxin on them, mm-hmm. you know, to try and get the person who has the uh, the map to either show it to them or show it to somebody else, and then they're going to grab it off the table, you know? In the case of bartering, everybody talks about this, but there's nothing to say that you can't barter with knowledge or reputation, mm-hmm. you know? Um, are you going to just outright, you know, outright lie, or are you going to try and distract and steal it yourself? 
you know, steal that magic item. Yep. Uh, in the case of dealing with somebody, a lot of people think that, you know, you, you've got your straight up strong arm, arm intimidation, but there's also sweet talking, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think Red did a good job of that, where, like, you had the uh, the wine connoisseur, uh, who they were trying to get the information out of, I think, in Red 2, and the girlfriend goes over and she's like, please, please don't, you know, I just, I, I, I just... I need you to do this for me. And she sweet talks him and seduces him mm-hmm. on the spot. And they're all looking like, what the hell is this? And she gets, she gets the information. Yeah. Um, good cop, bad cop is a, is a total strategy good or, cop, bad cop, yeah. or just asking the right questions using divination or charm. Yeah. Like there's nothing to say that when you're doing an interrogation that your, your caster can't do a little divination and go like, Oh, he's got a dying grandmother. Mm-hmm. We could, we could do something about this. You know, right, right. Or you could channel them and attempt to charm them. And I, I think know? it's worth noting too that you can you can really mix and match these things too. Like uh, I ran that big party uh, for you guys in Kavach, uh, where um, we had some characters who went in uh, and did the high society elbow rubbing. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, the others were doing a, a covert ops info gathering behind the scenes. So not only were you yep. doing the hobnobbing to try to get information out of the PCs you were, or the NPCs you were talking to, but you were also running distraction for the people sneaking around in the shadows and looking for documents. Yeah. And so, it paid off. Yeah, and it, it totally really, paid, really off. paid off. Everybody did, did wonderful. But, you know, it was, it's a good, good, a good example, I think, of a blended social encounter. 100%. Because it's still a social encounter. There was mm-hmm. no combat involved in that process. Yep. Um. And then your last piece is what what event gets triggered or is triggered by this. And that is like, does the NPC guard go and tell somebody that they're there? Or do they announce them, you know, when they come in the door? Or is the payment enough that nobody really cares? And, you know, or do they get to know them later and say, hey, those guys paid me, which means they have money. Let's go rob them. Mm -hmm. You know, or is the PC uh, notice that the, the map is missing and now you've got a situation or does the bar break out into a fight while the person's trying to steal the map or, you know, it does it turn into a long interrogation with the thief? Is that stealing of the map from the players, just an opening for them to either capture them and interrogate them or find information on their body or right, something. Right. Right. Um, in the case of the store owner, maybe they lose respect for them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or, in return, they do have a successful meeting with them, and now that store that store owner is, keeps coming back to them for more information. Mm-hmm. Like late night, they're in town, you know, or or it's you know they're three towns later, and a, a knock goes on their tavern door, you know, on their the room at the tavern, and it's him. He's like, hey, hey, I got I got something, and I need you guys to look at this thing. What do you mean? I don't know. Some guy sold it to me, and it, it, it doesn't look right. You know, it changed colors the moment he brought it in, and I, I don't even know what this thing is anymore, and I just, I feel like I need to get rid of it, and it's plot. He's getting rid of plot, you know? <laughs> but again, it's, it's there's a connection that's already been made there. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. What um, is it? I don't know. It's just some sort of shriveled monkey paw. Yeah. <laughs> it was open when I bought it. Now it's closed, and I have no idea what that means. Right. <laughs> you know, it's holding one finger out. It sounds like you made a wish. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like... So, and then the other thing is, is, uh, in the case of the NPCs, you know, could they gain or lose respect? Could mm-hmm. word get out that you're a bully if you interrogate somebody or you're abusive yep. or better, maybe you don't do that. And the next time you see that guy, you know, with his thugs or whatever, he just gives you a nod and walks on like, cause you were respectful. I'm you know? thinking of the, uh, the, the, the lumberjack and, uh, and his, his 
gang of goons when you guys went to go fight that troll. Oh, yeah. And uh, there was there was a couple villagers there who were like, you hired mercenaries. We don't need no stinking mercenaries here. Mm-hmm. Get lost, you pieces of crap. Keep, yep. you know, whatever. We can just handle this. And you were like, hey, I can, you know, I, I, I can tell by looking at you, you know, blah, 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 blah. You've never been in a fight before. Are you a soldier? Have you ever killed a man? He's like, well, I know how to swing an axe. He's like, right. You ever swung at anything that wasn't a tree? Yeah. <laughs> You ever swung at anything that's swinging back at you? Yep. N- no. That's what I thought. That's right. I didn't see you ass- walking back into town. You sit your ass down. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and you know, next time those guys came around, you didn't have as much of a problem with them. No, no. And then we turned that around again. And we... then you turned those into allies because you commanded respect, but you didn't bully them. Right. And that had a lasting reputation for you. Yeah. So then when it did come to trying to muster up a defense, yep. you were able to command them and say, hey, like get your shit together but you but i know you guys are stout individuals can you go yep. use that for doing this yep and they were motivated yep you know and there's one other piece that comes off of that trigger is that sometimes if the players are doing too much on the bullying side that might get the notice of the darker elements of the city saying hey you're somebody i, I could hire i like the cut of your jib exactly sir. so now you're getting hired by crime bosses to do work and maybe oh. you aren't even realizing that that's what's happening. And maybe that's just the wake-up call your PCs need. Sometimes it does. Is the villain to sit you down and go, you know, you're my sort of scum. Well, what do you mean? I'm nothing like you. Actually, you are. And here's you've just what you've done... done... Here's what you've done over the last six months. <laughs> it's been quite good. Thank you so much. Right. You know. Um, so I'm going to quickly do this because we've got ten minutes um, uh, on this. And, uh, I've got I, some questions, you too. Know, so. And you know, we can always... You know what? We can go wherever we want to. We, I'm not, we went over last time. We went so. over last time. Why not? Um... So what one of the things that um, I want to get out of this one is what makes a compelling NPC, mm-hmm. and I think this is really important. And these these kind of pieces also fit with uh, combat, but I think they sit more in the social because you get more time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, give them a reason to be there. We talked about that earlier. I, I totally think it's important. But another thing you can do on top of that is give them an education level. Just yeah. a simple thing. Are they low? Are they medium? Are they high educated? That makes a huge difference. If you're, you know, um, if you're, uh, you go to see the king and he's like, hey, um, I'm the king of this area. Y'all just uh, take a knee and bow before me. Versus good, uh, you know, good afternoon. This is the grand lord. And he comes in and honors you and there's food and there's, mm-hmm. you know, and he says, you know, I, if you swear fealty to me, I will see that all of your needs are taken care of. I look forward to, you know, working with you in the future. You have a very different respect level for that guy. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and you expect different things. Um, language, changing dialect, adding slang. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, does the race dictate anything? For instance, if every time you say an F, you put your tongue to your teeth mm-hmm. just a little bit. Just a little lift. Exactly. And so he's a snake person. So there you go. Now you get a little <laughs> little bit there. Or maybe he was maybe he was raised among them. Oh, God. I had a uh, uh, actually it was, it was Draven, uh, one of our one of our Patreons uh, who I, I role played with way back in the day when we first mm-hmm. met. Uh, and he played a Thrykreen, which oh. are like uh, uh, praying mantis creatures. Yes. Essentially. And uh, all of his uh, we, we did this over text based. Uh, yeah. And so he would like his Z's were always like anything mm. that ended in S or a Z just had like Z's at the end of it. That's so he would perfect. Buzz. That's perfect. This is not exciting acceptable yep. <laughs> i love that kind of stuff yep um what's their disposition 
Are they friendly? Are they annoyed? Are they antagonistic? Uh-huh. Are they indifferent? Are they hurried? That's different than being angry. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have time for this. You know, state your business so I may go on. You know, and they're just one. Or are they shy? Are they, are they completely defensive about things? Like, you know, I don't know anything about anybody. I don't know crap about crap. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me. I wasn't there. I didn't sell anything. You were literally sitting in the other side of the room. No, I wasn't. That was my brother-in-law. I don't even know what you're talking about. IRL. <laughs> exactly. Um, are they joyful? Are they fearful? Are they aggressive mm-hmm. when you approach them? What what is what is the stance of the person? Um, and something that is very simple, like we were just talking about, what are they doing at the time of the connection, and what do they have to do after that? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're talking to uh, um, a uh, like the head of a house, you know, and they're you know she's directing people because there's going to be a meal that evening, and you're asking her questions, she's going to be not necessarily connected with what you're asking. She may, you know, know that you're respected and you're one of the guests of the house and yeah, ha- she has to tend to your needs, but at the same time, she really ain't paying attention. Uh-huh. She'll direct somebody else to you. Yep. You know, and her thing is is that she has to go handle something else. She doesn't have time for you, but she can't be disrespectful of you either. So that adds a certain level to her personality, mm-hmm. right? Um another thing that I, I, and this is where I was kind of uh, trying to get to with one of the pieces, and that is is that your NPCs, if they are meant to be defined, if you're bringing somebody into a scene, and this is an NPC that you want to put weight to, there are seven NPCs that you can have, that you, that, that you really need to have in a story to help. And these all make sense, and going over this list was neat, and it was guys, it was another one of guys' things that did this, and I'll post it up for you guys so you can see it. I highly recommend you do it. Um, it was things that I naturally do and I didn't think about. Mm-hmm. Um, you have your guide NPC. This is a physical guide, a lore guide, someone who helps the PCs get from point A to point B in the plot. It could be a physical point A, or it could be you know, point A and B, or it could be a mental point A and B. Right, okay, 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 okay. okay. Um, but they are literally a straight-up guide. They create tension. So, for instance, maybe they're taking a, a sea journey, and the captain is is there with them, and he's like, oh, there's rough waters ahead. Nothing but sea serpents and, you know, and tidal waves for the next, you know, 16 hours. You know, and you're like, okay, I kind of know what's going to happen, uh-huh. you know. And and that's the kind of stuff that you want. That's, it's a level of exposition that you as the storyteller are giving through this guide, you know. Or when they get to shore, like, oh, don't be going in that town after night. Those people get robbed or worse. They have to work. You know, and you're like, work? <laughs> and then you he tells a whole story and a whole tale about how the town has a curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, you have your advancement. Now, this an advancement uh, NPC isn't a guide. They're someone who actually corrects the PCs and helps them keep on plot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay? They can refocus them a little bit. Gandalf is a good refocuser. Um, your um, uh, uh, lords in our story... Are oh, great the, uh, the, the, advancement. The, the Guildmasters? Yeah. They're oh, yeah. great because they get us right back to what's important to mm-hmm. the plot and what's a side story. Yes. Um, another one uh, is Rival. Now, a Rival isn't necessarily a villain. They push the PCs to be better. They point out the flaws. You can have friendly Rivals. These literally might be like, maybe your group uh, who's going and taking care of all these little things for the king, maybe there's another group of, of adventurers there, too. Mm-hmm. You know, and they come in, they're just like, you know, you, you come in all downtrodden and, and dirty and everything into the inn, and they're sitting there totally clean, eating a giant meal, bags of gold sitting next to them, like, oh, I think you were five minutes late into that tomb. <laughs> <laughs> 
probably should have done that because uh, we got paid and yep. you didn't. Yep. And, and that's the kind of stuff that uh, that rivals do is they push you that little extra. And they, they could be villainous, but they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, not. I mean, they could be, but they're sure. most likely not. Sure. Um, you have your mentors. Mm-hmm. And these are not a guide or an advancement, but they are direct guidance um, that doesn't have answers. They might give you clues. They might, uh, they might be an answer to something that's coming up. For instance, um, a good mentor uh, might be a lore master who uh, directs you to information or to a guide or yeah, to an advancement. Yeah. Um, they're also something that the players can come back to. And mentors are meant to be a direct connection, an honest connection for the players. I'm thinking uh, in my game like uh, your uh, like Deeksha from the, uh, from the Temple of Dabella. Yep. Um, who's your mentor? Yep. Um, she's a priestess there that you go see, or uh, Vedran Telvani, uh, Ambassador Telvani from yep. uh, uh, from the Mages Guild as well. Yep. Um, you have your long term NPCs, mm-hmm. um, and these are sometimes uh, regular NPCs who maybe just connect up with the group and and loop back a few times. Um, and these have direct bonds to the players. Um, in the past, we used to call them companions, um, and. Uh, they 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 traditionally are someone who the players can uh, can can uh, regularly get in, uh, assistance from mm-hmm. um that is meaningful assistance whereas you have support npcs and these are the ones who take care of your menial tasks this is the innkeep that takes care of like making sure your horses are tended to or or a uh, a maid there at an, an expensive inn who's able to um go ahead and uh, get your weapons sharpened or your clothes Mm -hmm. um, taken care of. So, uh, and then finally you've got comic relief. These are people who help you via a mirror, see the party differently. It could be a little kid who points out flaws, you know, like, well, why are you beating that guy up and not that guy? And you're like, Oh yeah. Why are we? Yeah. uh, Actually, I've got uh, one of the um, one of the bards in uh, the Warriors Guild, or uh, the Fighters Guild that uh, that you guys have, um, uh, Balgraf, uh, who oftentimes is kind of the the uh, drunken Nord that uh, our fighter likes to uh, sit down yeah. with a lot of times and just have some good old palling around stuff of like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he's he mostly just kind of serves the, the function of sitting there and joking around with you guys during your downtimes and allowing you to kind of reflect upon that and have your sort of home base camaraderie. But at the same time, you point out our flaws. Yeah, yeah, through yeah. Through that of like, well, why would you do it that way? Well, he... he well, got he, the job done. <laughs> of course, he's going to rib you a little bit, you Exactly. Know? And that, that gives you that flavor. So each right. one of those NPCs... Uh, of those uh, of those seven, add flavor to the story in a meaningful way, mm-hmm. and you can and your players can trust those positions to come back again and again. Um, so I, I I'm gonna throw both the links out there that I've got from um, excuse me, too much too too much Belvany, um, for uh for those for guys things because they were. They are fantastic ways of getting into your characters, and he gives some really direct examples um, of those, and I, I, I think they're fantastic. Um, anything else, or did I beat this topic to death? No, I think we are we're we're thoroughly and <laughs> we are we are one hour into this, and we haven't even hit uh, hit. Questions All right, well, let's yet, get these so. questions in then. Yeah, let's get some questions. 
Uh, all right. So let me start with this previous week question, or do you want to save that one for last? I think this is good. I think this is good because we're sitting right at the end of the two pieces, and that's, that's kind of where I wanted to put it. All right. So Overwatch, and this is a, this is a leftover question from last week, so I apologize for or not two getting, weeks, into, actually. Uh, to, to getting to this earlier. Uh, there appears to be a trending style change from more tactical, crunchy-type games um, to faster, looser styles becoming prevalent. Emerging games often cater to this. Is one the result of the other? Which do you think came first, the trending style change or the games that encourage it? Uh, also, if you're playing the uh, Storyteller Conclave drink at home or uh, drinking game, uh, that that's one drink for crunchy. Yeah, we did say crunchy. Yeah. Um, so uh, I kind of go back and forth. I think this was more of people playing with less rules. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to cut down and get back to storytelling, basic storytelling. And and I don't think it was a buildup from something that was simpler into it. I, I think it emerged from that. So I would say it was that the uh, the style changed became came into the games. Because you had game developers who were saying, this is the kind of story I want to tell. Mm-hmm. What do we need to do to make the rules to fit that? Um, I mean, I think... <sighs> because we're talking about it right now. D&D doesn't really have a good system for handling social. It's true. It's true. It's there, but it doesn't discuss it very well. So... I, I, I don't... Yeah, but I, I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's necessarily where this where this question's going, though. Because, I mean... Okay. Um... I mean, to, we're talking to, about to Apocalypse me, World versus D&D. Yeah, yeah. But I, I still think, like, look, I mean, moving even from 3rd edition to 5th edition D&D, mm-hmm. things got a little faster and looser. Way, way true. Way but, true. But at the same time, though, D&D, I think, still amongst our current stable of, like, modern games mm-hmm. is uh, still on the crunchier side. 100% agree. It's it's very tactical. It's very numbers-based. It's still very role-based. Um, and so I, I think, you know, as far as the, the, the chicken and egg question goes, I, I, I personally think that it was... I think a lot of the crunchier rules are holdovers from the, like, the old style of games. Like, D&D specifically. I agree. I think, you know, if, if, if role-playing games were a tree, <laughs> D&D was the trunk. <laughs> You know, yes. and it started off as as the seed. It started off as the sapling. Mm. It started off as that one that one sprout, that one twig that everything just kind of came from. Um, and so, you know, it, earlier on in your in, in your games, you had a lot of these like uh, you know they they were all crunchy because that's how you did them. There were no other options. And then I think as time goes on and this tree gets bigger and branches out more, I think people are realizing that you don't need to be as close to the trunk. Of crunchy tactical dungeon crawly games. You're anymore. gonna get everybody drunk if you keep this up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they're keeping tally in the. They uh, are seriously keeping in, tally in, in, in the, the live chat. Uh, yeah, of how many times we're saying the c word. Uh, but what I'm, what I'm saying though is, I think I think as time goes by, people are realizing they don't have to emulate D and D anymore. And I agree with that. I agree that I, I want to say stories like. Um, uh, that happened back in the uh, creation of new of new systems. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, World of Darkness. Yeah, World was of a Darkness great... was huge. World of Darkness was huge, and it cut back on the crunch. Yeah, um, drink. I know. I, I, hey, you 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 have three to catch up on. I, you're out. I, I already finished. Um, but uh, and then you have Palladium, which was not. Uh huh. It it was a switch completely to in GURPS. And those became very prevalent systems. You know, 
And then we got into things like Apocalypse World and Fate. Yeah. And uh, and started pushing the, those games. And then you had the side story games that were you were basically system games themselves, like Kill Dr. Lucky mm-hmm. and some of that stuff. Um, oh, there's an, an, another one out there that I can't think of. It had just a second ago. And so I think as we started moving away from that tactical dice fits off all the 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 ways of doing it and we started exploring those other things we took out some of that Mm -hmm. and i say we as a whole uh we as the greater we so uh, i still think there was a a movement to it to get to the story without having so much book because you know I can tell you that I've seen, especially in the 90s, late 90s especially, mm-hmm. there were tons of games that were one book. Oh, yeah. And the rules in that book were very slim. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it was all, how do you play this? How do you storytell in this? You know, what are the things? Um, there was uh, Fiasco was an, is a role-playing game. Okay. One book, small book, and it's about basically like what happens when you have a fiasco in a, in a movie? Oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, fiasco-style movies, you know, uh, uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, mm-hmm. you know, or Snatch, or something like that, where it's literally a bunch of combined scenes that create this fiasco sense. Mm-hmm. The rules in it are very simple. You know, you're, you're not doing a lot um, as far as crunch is concerned, but it's still one hell of a story to, yeah. to put together. And some people... It's not their cup of tea, mm-hmm. you know? We're not playing Battletech, <laughs> right, which is at the right. far end of the scale. Yeah. But even Battletech has MechWarrior, yeah. you know? Which, again, tries to figure out how to work mm-hmm. within that system and still be a, a, a still have a little bit of leeway. Right, right, right. So I hope that answers your question, Overwatch. <laughs> We got it. I t- I knew it was going to take us longer than like a minute to talk about. Yeah, it's just a bit of a bit of a big question though. I mean, which came first, the chicken or the egg? But I think that's where the where it fits with the difference between combat and social. Mm-hmm. In combat, it's rare to have you say, "Yeah, don't worry about rolling dice. You're just killing the guy." Yeah. Whereas with social, happens all the time. Happens all the time. Yeah. And should it? And that really comes down to the table. So it comes Maybe. down to you and your players. Yeah. Whatever, whatever gets your whatever gets your story through, and whatever your players enjoy. You know. Yeah, exactly. All right. right. Uh, So Knox in the Box uh, asks, what are some fun and or effective way to handle the kinds of wait and see social encounters? Uh, Sending a letter or magical message or someone um, to someone or praying to a higher being. Okay. So uh, if it's the players sending the message, Mm -hmm. um, the wait and see is is uh, I, I think is more of an adaptation of that. It's something that starts and then the social encounter happens later. Yes, and you have a social encounter. Um, on the other hand, I love doing in the seventh C the preamble scene of the writing, mm-hmm. where you get the essence of what was happening during the writing of the letter. Okay, okay, okay. And then it's being read in front of the player, and now the player can have their reaction to mm-hmm. it. So it's. It's a different, it's not wait and see, it's they're receiving the entire story, the whole meaning for that scene. Right. In right. one in one piece, and they can respond to it and work through the scene. Uh, whereas I have the Dropbox. Yes. <laughs> which uh, is very much wait and see. Which is very much wait and see. Uh, so I, I gave my party a, uh, what I call the Dropbox, mm-hmm. um, and it is a bag of holding, mm-hmm. uh, but it has a separate pouch on it that has a shared space 
with another box that they have back at the Mages Guild. Yep. And so you can essentially pass items, small items, yep. and um, uh, and letters back and forth between the two. And so what they've been doing is writing up letters uh, that are reports on their progress and things that they've found in their investigation, and they'll drop a letter back home so that they can get, um, you know, on-demand uh, answers. So typically what I'll do is whenever somebody says, okay, well, I'm, I'm writing something and dropping it in the Dropbox, I say, okay, just write me an email. Yep. Literally just pop open your email client, send me an email. Mm-hmm. Between games, because it will take that long, mm-hmm. I will write up your response. And typically then I've also had it fully printed out mm-hmm. on a piece of paper with, uh, you know, in, in a, a script font yep. so that it looks handwritten uh, and given it to you at the beginning of the next game. Like, yep. okay. This happens, that happens. It's and a fun you, prop. You you guys wake up, the sun is shining, it's a nice morning, the wind is blowing gently out of the east, um, the smell of breakfast as you guys are cooking that over your campfire uh, begins, and uh, 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 Rigar, you reach into the um, uh, into the Dropbox and uh, you find a letter in there mm-hmm. and hand it to him. Yep. There you go. Props. Yep. You get, you get a prop, you get an answer. And it has that sort of believable distance of they had to read it, absorb it, and write a reply, and yep. you get one the next morning, you know? One of the things I thought was interesting was, and I, I read it about someone who had done the same thing, mm-hmm. where basically it was a, a dual bag of holding mm-hmm. um, that uh, was doing it. But what they ended up doing with it was is that you had couriers. So you had someone who had the bag, right? Okay, okay. Um, that was basically like a mail courier, and they would get to a place, and when they got there, um, they would wait till... They'd wait wait till an assigned time. So, for instance, on Mondays they were here. On Tuesdays they were here. On Wednesdays they were here. Okay. And when they were there, they would get a bell. They'd open, you know, they this little bell that was attached to the bag would ring, which was basically a string tied through the bag of holding to the other side. Oh, that that's would let cool. them know the mail is ready to be taken. And they would open the bag and start handing out get, handing out all the mail for the town. Oh, that and is then cool. they would close up. They would say after one hour, they close up the bag, head off to the next town. Uh huh. And they get to that town at noon. Bell rings. So the players got a bag from a dead guy. With a bell on it, huh? That would ring on occasion, and mail and things would come out of it. Mail theft is a crime. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> but I thought that was a neat way of doing it. So. Yep. 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 All right. Hulavu has the question: uh, What are some alternatives to combat slash straight skill checks that can take a campaign away from just being about combat, but still involve skill challenges that are more fun than just rolling dice? Uh, that is literally one of our upcoming episodes. Yes. We are doing a whole episode on that Hulavu, so yep. thank you for asking. Yep. You're going to get a probably an hour-long answer about that. Yeah. Um, but to speak today... We talked about uh, different ways you can do uh, basically interrogations, sure. different ways that you can handle, uh, you know, a, a gate guard or mm-hmm. anything like that. Getting past no, which is a, a, a great response. Um, but you can always have even fights turn into bouts of strength. Sure. You know, where it's 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 now a wrestling match. It's not about who's knocking who out. 7C has dueling rules, mm-hmm. and there is a skill called tagging, Yep, uh, which is uh, doing things like uh, hitting buckles mm-hmm. and, you know, just, and, and, just and ties and buttons. slightly cutting, you know, just the little cuff on their shirt mm-hmm. just to show them that you could have killed them, but instead you did a precision strike that didn't wound them at all. Correct. Just to humiliate them. Correct. And it helps you and advances your skill uh-huh. in that scene. Yep. But yeah, dueling is a huge thing within 7C. I think dueling is is a lost art uh, that uh, some other games can definitely do. And I think you could easily duel in, in uh, D&D. 
I think yep. you could without it being combat. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan. Um, uh, Matthew Mercer in Critical Role occasionally does this, where he does uh, uh, these like skill checks, mm-hmm. where they're um, he says, okay, so you there here is the scene. Um, who is going to help with this scene essentially, and puts it on the on the player characters. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to use stealth to kind of. Uh, Lead them, you know, lead lead our pursuers astray. Okay, cool. You give me a stealth check. That sounds like a plausible use of a skill. Now, who else has a skill that they would like to lend that isn't stealth? Right. Because this character's already doing that, you know. And allow them to kind of come up with creative solutions. Instead mm-hmm. of asking them for a specific check, allow them to tell you what check they're going to use and what creative way they're going to try to resolve the situation. Yep. You know? And and you can do that also for a broken up scene. For instance, if the scene that you really want to deal with is them getting through a courtyard, mm-hmm. all they would need is four successes, right? Right. To get through that, as far as you're concerned. Maybe one of them, you know, is able to, you know, they, they figure out a plan that one of them is going to be the distraction. Someone else is going to, you know, sneak the group around the side. And the third person is going to go knock out the guy with the keys, mm-hmm. you know, while all this is going on. Great. Okay. How are you guys going to do that? And you have skill checks for this. It doesn't have to be combat. Yeah. It can be to- something totally different. But yeah. again, we'll be getting back to that. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. So what's next week? Uh, all right. So next week, we're actually going to be diverging slightly from this uh, encounter building miniseries that we're doing. Um, we're going to be getting back to another one of our game spotlights, and we're going to be doing a spotlight on one of my f- all-time favorites. Basically, the thing I spent all of my high school uh, time on was uh, Battletech and MechWarrior. <laughs> so you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram, ST underscore Conclave. You can listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And please, by all means, join us up on our Discord. You can find that link on our Twitter. You can find it up on our website at StorytellerConclave.com. Uh, join, join, join the discussion here. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, also... Please join us on our Patreon. We love having people uh, onto our live uh, chat with us every week. It's so much fun having <laughs> having the conversation and seeing you guys join us. Um, our main members right now that are uh, contributors are uh, Knox, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, and Sparkle Motion. Our pre-show music is Arcane Anthems. You can find them at Patreon-ArcaneAnthems. I highly recommend you check them out for your your games. Our intro music is Beyond the Wars by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com or find the link on our site. Our outro music is our Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at SoundCloud.com slash Machine slash tracks. And as always, a big shout out to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for uh, putting up with us week after week to yes. do this and supporting us. Um, all of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years and shared this gaming experience and of course you every single one of our listeners stay safe we love you love you very much good night good night